Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. He's on Long Island and uh, it's snowing and I'm in Vegas and it's sunny and 50 degrees. So <clears throat> interesting there. We'll get into that a little bit, but I guess, Chris, we got a little bit of uh, Vegas Golden Knights news just to gloss over real quick today. Yeah, you texted me during the week and uh <laughs> These last couple since January second, uh, starting the new year at work, it's been insanity. And then I get a text from you, and I, I check it a few minutes later, and I couldn't believe what I was reading that the the Knights fired Gerard Gallant. And you know, I I was at first my first reaction was complete shock, and then later on when I had to digest, and then I think later you uh, text me and Pete DeBoer is going to place him. And uh, I, I guess the, we'll do this in two parts. We'll do it from the Galan part first, right? Um, and then later on talk about DeBoer. Um, uh, I was, when I had time to digest, uh, it, it was only one way this made any sense to me. Because I see a coach who, you know, had a heck of a um, resume before coming here and what he did with Florida, and we all know how that played out. They had a 500 uh, record through 20 games, and they they let him go because of inconsistency, which is a kind of a- ironic. After and, uh, a a franchise high uh, single season point increase from one year to the next in his first season, and the Jack Adams finalist second season was a playoff uh, against your Islanders. Right. And then they right. remake his defense, trading away or, or releasing three of the six starting defensemen, and he starts 500, and then they release him in, in an inglorious fashion. So uh, right. I just wanted to get that out. He, he wasn't just 500 that first year. He set franchise Oh, no, no, no yeah. No, he did, he, he did really well. And okay. so here he comes to Vegas and does the impossible – well, it would seem like yeah. the impossible or uh, the unbelievable – getting the team to the Stanley Cup Finals in year one, um, which, you know, he, he had a major hand uh, in. Lash uh, backed it up with another strong season in year two, didn't rest on their laurels, and if it wasn't for, let's face it, a very bizarre set of circumstances uh, without diving into that because we could do a podcast, which we've done on, uh, on that, we have on that game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, you know, really just a, a, a craziness situation. They win that round, and who knows what happens. I'm not saying they're going to win the Stanley Cup, but so, um, and then, and then this year, while this year has been inconsistent at times, up and up and too many downtimes at times. But I think we've talked about this from the parody of the sport, of how there are no easy games. Um, I think I saw last night the Penguins, who have basically lost, like, it feels like two games in the last two months, you know, had to go to overtime to beat Detroit, who's by far the worst team in the league, um, as an example. there, You know, there are very, very few easy games, and that's part of it. Um, so, to me, letting him go – and let's keep in mind, too, while I think going into today, to today or at the time of the firing, maybe he they were outside of – they were in the wild card spot. They're basically like two points out of first place in the division with a very yeah. respectable record. So yeah. 
it made no sense to me to let go of a coach like that unless unless uh somehow some way that the relationship between Golan McCrimmon slash McPhee uh has gotten so bad that they can't work with each other anymore. And I'm not saying this happened. That would be the only way to me to letting him go. Because to say, well, we've been inconsistent, we need a change. Uh, you know, I, I, like, well, you know, there's good times and there's bad. And, hmm. you know, if, if you want to say, in fact, I can make the argument, this is probably, and let's put it again, in perspective, the night at the time of the firing was two or three points out of first place. This was probably the first really bad patch the Knights have been under, uh, with Joe Alcalon as head coach, and and then you fire him. So um, it may it makes no sense to me unless you told me like you know what, um, no everyone is totally the front office and him are totally not on the same page. They're arguing back and forth, and um, and uh, you know something had. Somehow to give him that case, and obviously McCrimmon and McPhee are running the team, so uh, yeah, they decided to let him go. Uh, I, I, you know, I still don't like it at all, but that's the only uh, thing that to me that would make sense. I, I don't know how you feel about. Uh, uh, I know you were shocked as well, but what were your thoughts? Well, I put out a a quick podcast, twenty minutes of ranting, in co- probably incoherence on uh, Wednesday night. Just you weren't able to make the show due to work. Yeah, <laughs> but I've organized my thoughts a little bit, Chris, and um, it it rankles me on a few different levels. Um, let's go back to on ice play. You, you seemed to be what you were focusing on a little bit. Um, VGK started 13, 13 and something, whatever it was this year. And due to a coaching change on the defensive side of the puck, where they switched from a man to man style defense to more of a, a zone read type of defense. Uh, that was when the Knights play turned around and it was 13, four and two and in first place before the four game slide, two of those teams, St. Louis and Pittsburgh, you would agree are upper echelon teams. Two of them were not. Yeah, and they're red uh, hot too. And red hot. Um, two of them, uh, the Kings and, and, uh, was it Columbus? Um, I would say bottom, bottom third at least we know the kings are bottom tier but um well, columbus, columbus, columbus had been yeah. on fire they were uh they were up and coming so let's say two upper echelon teams one real hot team moving up towards that echelon and one real bad team let's say that and they went zero and four in that stretch so far on and i'm just talking about this season i don't have to get into gerard gallant's resume everybody knows he's done the uh, the he's done things that have never been done and most likely will never be done again with the expansion team <coughs> excuse me that's that speaks for itself that that first year run should have bought you 5 years of ups and downs in my opinion um unless the players went to management and said we can't work with this guy anymore which i freaking highly doubt happened um Okay, so on the season, their first and expected goals for, um, they only have a 7.5% shooting percentage, which I think ranks around 22nd in the league. 
Um, they're third in Corsi, which uh, first in expected goals for and third in Corsi, I think directly relate to um, coaching scheme, right? You're, you're, you have your, your breakout plays, you have your set, you have your philosophy of how you get into the offensive zone. So you're first and third respectively in that player performance, seven and a half percent shooting percentage. Gallant's not shooting the puck, right? Um, that's if his scheme is putting players in and first by a wide margin in, in expected goals for, okay. So if your scheme and your offensive side of things and the player's talent, of course, is getting you into position to score goals and We've talked about them being a snake bit team, being unable to finish at times. Uh, players getting streaky like Pacioretty early in the season, banging goalposts like no, you know, like they're going out of style, um, and then getting hot. Stone going eight games without a goal. Carlson going ten games about without goals. Um, then getting hot four and six games, and then cooling off again. Um, I think Riley Smith has been pretty much the most consistent scorer after Pacioretty and he has his ups and downs. So that's a, that's a player performance issue. You, you, nothing you can coach a player into increasing a shooting percentage. Okay. Um, at, at, uh, today, let's assume they were going to beat Ottawa with Gallant as head coach. Okay. That's, I think a reasonable assumption. Would you say, Chris? Um, yeah, I would think so. Uh, Just reasonable. Yeah, Ottawa has been feisty, and it's not a, again. This sure. is another example. It's not. A, it's not an automatic. You know, uh, automatic win. I mean, they, they, yeah, they've uh, even though they're not in the bottom third of the standings, they don't have an awful record, and they have been uh, a little bit more difficult at home. So, uh, uh, and they've beaten a lot, of, and they've beaten a lot of good teams. So, well, uh, let's, let's you know, say, I would. Uh, well, because I, just for argument's sake, Pete DeBoer, right. Pete DeBoer hadn't even didn't make it into Ottawa in time to even attend practice that morning, and he didn't bring skates because he was in such a hurry to get out of Florida because the whole thing happened in 24 hours that he wasn't even on ice at practice. So there weren't any Pete DeBoer effects during that hockey game. Let's just agree yeah. on that. Okay. Yeah. So as they sit now, if they had beat Ottawa, they are. Let's see. Well, let, let me finish my stat run first. They're they're tied with St. Louis with 155 goals for, just behind the Avs and the uh, Canucks with 158 goals goals for. Okay, so I'll get into the goals against and the structure of the defense that management created for Golan to deal with first. But as far as the offensive skills go, um, in the Western Conference, they're second in goals for. They're first in expected goals for, and they're third in Corsi percentage. It pretty much is is not bad. Okay, let's say above average. Um, so where they where they sit now? I'm running through my notes here. They are uh, I made a lot of notes. Anyway, they're two points from being tied for second place in the Western Conference, which had they been with Gallant and beat Ottawa, it's the same thing, right? St. Louis way out in front with 68. And then you have Colorado and Dallas at 58, and Vegas has 56. Okay, so you're two points from being tied for second place in the Western Conference. You're right now sitting 
one point out of first place in the Pacific Division. When they fired him, he was three points out of first place in the Pacific Division and three points out of second in the entire Western Conference. Because the West, the Pacific, so jumbled up. You have Calgary right now, 57 points. Uh, Arizona, same number of games as Vegas, 57 points. Vancouver, a couple games in hand, 56 points. And Vegas with 56 points. Um, you're on pace to host at least a first-round playoff game before you went on a four-game slide. Seasons have up and down. Um, you can't tell me it was you, – you terminate a coach with his pedigree and track record on a four-game losing streak. That's that's ludicrous, okay? Don't, don't tell me that. Don't insult my intelligence. And so th- I want to get into a little bit about what bothers me. If you want to make a coaching change, fine. It happens all the time. Um, McCrimmon being the new general manager, right? Um, we know in sports, most general managers like to bring their guy in, right? Have their own coach because you guys got to be on the same page. And if the general manager is going to go down, he wants to go down with his guys around him, right? Head coach gets hired. He wants to bring in his own assistant coaches. Perfect world. It's in the off season. And, uh, he guy meets with the staff, figures out if he, you know, whatever, and then brings his own guys in. We, we know that happens, right? Absolutely. Like keep going, he okay. was already McCrimmon was got promoted in the organization where Galan right. was the coach. It wasn't like McCrimmon came from the outside, so right. it wasn't like when he got promoted that meant like Galan uh, was on shaky ground. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, you, know, you know, to me, to me, this sounds like you said. I get it. You like to see them be a little bit more consistent, but again, with the way the league is, that is a big part of why it's so hard to. Be consistent. And I get it. Like it was that game. I forget last week's show. We talked about. You mentioned about the shot differential in the first period, and I forget who they were playing. I don't know if it was the Kings or the Ducks, or I think it was the Kings game. So I get all it that. Was. I'm not saying it's per- I'm not saying it's all been perfect, but to me, uh, this is more about. I-, I would be surprised if he was not let go because McCrimmon and McPhee, who's McCrimmon's boss, said. Gerard, we want you to do X, Y, Z, y and Z in, yep. in terms of how we play, in terms of, you know, line. You see this now in baseball, right? The quote-unquote collaboration with the managers. Managers aren't allowed to do anything, or a lot of the new managers, and they only want to hire a few. And, and if Glenn said, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm I, here I, to coach. I don't want to. Yeah. And, You're here to give me players. Right. And so – that's the only thing to me that makes sense. And even then, I, I I would not have done it now. I think he has a proven track record. <clears> and, uh, you know, I, I, I tell you, there's a lot of teams who either are looking for a coach or are thinking about looking for a coach who's, um, whose uh, ears percolated when they heard the news that he was let go. Well, my first thought on that was if Seattle didn't have him on a plane first class straight out of Austin to Seattle and uh, red carpet treatment, limo from the airport, the whole nine yards, they're doing it wrong. Um, if if there's if there's anybody better for an expansion job, you're going to have to bring him up because I don't know the guy. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Do you want to go to the DeBoer part of this, or did, did you want to make go? Uh, oh, I got more. Up, uh... I got more. Okay, go ahead. So let's go back uh, when George McPhee was first hired and we had him on the on the podcast. I asked him about working with Pat Quinn and Coach Brooks. 
And his response to us was that George, that Pat Quinn was probably the the finest man he'd ever met in his life, and taught him first and foremost how to treat everybody with respect. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I used that I used that hit in in one of the show intros that we run. Uh, he's probably the finest man I've ever met in my life. That's directly from George McPhee, and he went on to elaborate about how he treated people. Let me let me just say this. You're honest, Evan. And okay, first of all, Kelly McCrimmon, this did not happen in 24 hours. I don't believe you. Um, you're not going to get a coach, finalize contracts, and get him uh, whatever. A visa, I don't know if we need visas to travel to Canada, whatever. Um, and, and your statement that I had a feeling something needed to change. You were asked specifically why the change was made, and your answer was that you had a feeling. You had a feeling to replace the most successful expansion coach in the history of sports that was three points out of a first-round playoff series as, as, a, first, as a Pacific Division champion two, two years out of three points. And, and furthermore, you're finishing a seven-game homestand. Let's just cut the BS and agree to, that there had been talks with DeBoer prior to, prior to after the Buffalo game. You didn't call him up at 1030 East Coast time after the Buffalo game. Say, hey, Pete, you want to coach the Golden Knights? And Pete said, oh, yeah, sure. Whatever you want to pay me, I'll sign it. I'll meet you in Ottawa. That didn't happen. Okay? Can we agree on that? This had to have been. Yeah. In the, if, if, if you had a feeling suddenly after the Buffalo game, what happens in sports is you talk to Gerard Gallant, tell him to clean out his desk in Vegas, bring up Rocky Thompson from Chicago as your interim head coach, um, conduct a coaching search, uh, you know what I'm saying? Interview people. There's yeah. plenty of quality. Guys. See, you, I'm not going to use DeBoer it, it, because I don't th- think he's a quality coach, but you have Laviolette still out there. You have Lindy Ruff, who is uh assistant with the Rangers. You got Dan Bilesma, who's an assistant with the Red Wings. You'd have to get permission, of course, to talk to those guys, but you conduct a coaching search. So this has all been going on the scene, behind the scenes. Yeah, McCrimmon's comments doesn't make ridiculous. a lot of sense, which we, we, yeah, they seem very ridiculous, <laughs> which gives me more credence that him and Gallant uh, did not see eye to eye. That, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm just speculating, but, and obviously they don't want to come out with that, uh, that narrative and, and go down that rabbit hole. And then, well, what, what do you mean by that? Like, well, what is that? And um, they probably right. want to put it, you know, we let him go. Here's the new coach. So, but yeah, his, his comments are nonsensical. Thank you. So after what this guy did, and this sours me on the franchise, Chris, I have to be honest with you. Um, with going back to the George McPhee people, uh, seven-game homestand. You already know that you're going to at least – you've already talked to DeBoer. Let's say we agree on that. So the, the classy way to do it is at the end of that Columbus game, just say, Glenn, we're going to have to go in another direction. You know, we're, we're not working well together. We're going to make this change. Um, clean out your desk at City National Arena, and uh, we'll get you a flight wherever you want to go from here. Um, if you want, you know, you got a house here, obviously. You know, we'll work out whatever you need to do. Um, thank you for what you've done for the organization. That wasn't even said really in McCrimmon's comments either, which I thought was garbage. You didn't even, you know – talk about what Gallant has done well for this franchise um, is just a feeling to make a change. But 
anyway, so instead of instead of doing it a classy way with respect to the individual, um, you fly to Buffalo, okay? And I I believe that by now, the locker room knows what's going on. It may it may have had a a um, they may have known what was going on late in that homestand to for the play to be what it was. That's my own personal opinion. Um, so now you're in Buffalo, okay? After the Buffalo game, you could tell Coach Glant that, uh, hey, we got a plane waiting for you. Um, we're making a, a change. We've made the decision. We'll, we'll get you back to Vegas and, uh, you, you know, thank you and, and, you know, handle it with class and dignity. But still, we're not, uh, we're not quite done yet. You, you, you let him fly across an international border, go through customs. I checked it out. It's a three-hour and 55-minute flight from Buffalo to Ottawa, right? So a- allowing a half an hour, which is probably kind to get out of the arena in Buffalo, you're not at the airport till 11. So that means you're not in uh, Ottawa till 4. So let's, let's just conservatively say they got into the hotel 4.35 o'clock. They said they called him at 8, 8.30 in the morning to tell him he was fired. It's freaking three degrees in Ottawa. So they fly him across an international border. They wait until 8 in the morning when it's going to be the least possible. You know, it's going to have that, give them time to come up with the PR thing. And, and they dump the man in Ottawa in five degrees. Um. And then, and then uh, magically, Pete DeBoer's on site less than 24 hours later, ready to go. Little pretty little bow on his head, on his clown head. Um, I, I, to disrespect Coach Glenn, I don't care if you have a personal problem with him. And that's pretty much my summation, Chris. Is, is it, you know, independently, we've come to the same conclusion that there was a personal. Uh, working relationship that fell apart and well i don't know um, if it was a personal it might have been like um uh and and, and to be fair to mcsee he might have wound up being referee uh and if that was the case i don't know and this must happen in years past with other teams uh basically and say look we said we were going to do this before the season started or the coach wants to go with this and you know and then you can reevaluate at the end of the year uh, maybe they felt like if they didn't do something now, the season will be lost. That seems a bit extreme to me, given where they were in the standings, and even though uh, they were in a you know a, a little bit of a, a bit of a slump. Um, but I, I wouldn't use. I would say more of it's professional from the standpoint of you know let's assume that McCrimmon wanted things done a certain way and Gallant saw things a different way. Uh, and McCrimmon, you know, said, hey, I'm your boss, and you're going to follow, you know, and he said, well, I'm the coach, and I, you, like you said, you get the players, I coach the players, and I, I know my team and, and all that jazz. Um, um, it, it just seems amazing to me we got here. And, you know, again, time will tell, but uh, I just I don't think uh, this played out. This was – you know the first real bad moment in the franchise, and, and you know the other part. And it's not even a bad moment. Speculation, right? Well, in terms of bad moments, from four game losing someone, right? No, firing someone that I don't. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, I got you. Now the other thing is, and again, I haven't had a chance to read anything. It's been a crazy week, but I don't know. Is, is it possible that this came from up top from the owner and said, "Look, we're slumping. I need we need a new coach. I'm telling you guys, this is what you need to do." I'm just, you know, I mean, there's a lot yeah. of things we don't know what's going on behind. That was my behind. first instinct. 
closed doors. Uh, but yep. I, I just, I really, uh, I, to me, I think Gerard Gallant, given, uh, let's even throw out everything he did before coming to Vegas. Given everything yeah. he did before coming to Vegas, uh, given everything he did while being the Vegas Golden Knights coach to serve this whole season, and then at that point, if you wanted to, you can re, you can evaluate where we are, uh, coach, front office, same page, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. You know that that to me um, would would be would be the way to go. And like I said, this is really the first, for for lack of a better expression, rough spot that Vegas has been in. And again, I put that with air quotes as they are only a couple points, two or three points out of first place. I get it. There's second in the conference. Right. Not just first in the division, second overall in the conference. Yeah, I get it. And things are very tight, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a thin line between winning the Pacific with the five teams. I think it's five teams battling for it and just missing the playoffs, which means you go home. So I, I get that point. But this is really the first bad moment, uh, for lack of a better term, and he gets fired over it. I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit baffled by that. Yeah, well, let me get uh, my last point in here before we talk about some of the other things going on in the NHL. The management is. Well, I want to make a point about the board too. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I think that, that by hiring Pete DeBoer is a testament to an arrogant and tone-deaf uh, with respect to the fan base. Um, I'm going to hire whoever I want. We know that our fan base hates this guy. We know that our players hate this guy. But I'm doing what I want, and I don't care what the fan base is going to think. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. This, the management who fired Gallant is the one who built the team. They were the ones who gave patches, and and I'm not saying any of these contracts are right or wrong. I'm just stating facts. Facts don't care about feelings. Um, you paid Flurry, You paid Theodore. You paid Marshall and Carlson. You brought in Stone and paid him. You brought in Pacioretty and paid him. You brought in Stastny and paid him. And now you boxed yourself into a corner where you were forced to let uh, Gusev go for picks. And you were forced to trade Eric Halla and Colin Miller, two of your uh, franchise starting players that went to the cup and brought that experience to the locker room. And you know that I'm a big believer in in cup presence in the locker room and those two guys had it um you traded colin miller who's a legit four or five d man and he ran the run the unit on the second power play heck of a heck of a strong shot very quick could skate the puck out of the defensive zone and start breakouts um so there's a four or five d man gone and they chose to go with holden and merrill who in my opinion are two seven eight d men which um and then bring in bring up nick haig is a rookie so you got yeah. In retrospect, three, in, in retrospect three they would have been better off trading Cody Cody Eakin. You think coming off a career? You got year, seven centers on keeping, the roster. Yeah, and keep and then let Gusev. Cody Glass play his third line center with Tuck and Gusev, and uh, bada bing. Anyway, um, 
And so all those things d- happen. I'm not sorry, critiquing this. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's because, you know, when they traded for Stone and, and signed him to that number, there was going to be dominoes for the salary cap. 100%. That. But, uh, but, but uh, yeah, in retrospect, and, and, and knowing that if he could follow up with another strong year, they were not going to be able to afford him even if they wanted to with the cap. So, in retrospect, they would have, like you said, with the depth that they had in the organization at center, uh, they would have been much better off keeping Miller. I think the cap numbers were very are very similar, and um, and, uh, and and trading Eakin, I probably could have gotten well, more for Eakin. Yeah, Maybe. when we when we talked about this team in the uh, preseason, that was the one concern we had besides um, being able to rest Flurry was the depth on defense because of the moves that they made. So. Even okay, so that's the long term, long long view of how we got to where we are, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. With uh, Vegas is tied for second overall in the Western Conference with 155 goals for. Well, they have 151 goals allowed. They only have a plus four goal differential. There's nine teams in the West that have fewer than 151 goals allowed, and that's a direct relation on why they're struggling and a direct relation on the defensive core that Gerard Gallant was given to work with by this management group. And now short-term, they've had injuries this season. We've had Zekoff on a 20-game suspension. Um, Recently, in that four-game losing streak, they had just lost Cody Gloss, and then Marsha Show goes down. And they have uh, Brandon Perry and Zekoff down in Chicago. They got Luzis Alvinez, uh eight goals, 25 assists, 33 points. As a centerman, could have called him up to replace Glass. You got Curtis McKenzie, a left winger, goals, uh, 13 goals, 13 assists, 26 points in 40 games. Um, you could bring – and by the way, they're both shooting uh, significantly higher than – the players on the roster right now with 16 and 11% respectively. Um, those two guys could have got brought up, but what did they do? They didn't bring anybody up and they coaches pretty much forced to use John Merrill as a left wing in, in a game because of the roster that they've handed it. So this fall guy um, set up to fail. I, I don't know. Those are strong words. I know, but if, if you have four players that, you know, let's face it, Lucas Alvinas isn't an NHL player right now, but he's a highly touted prospect in the team. Curtis McKenzie, um, you give Marsha shows a left wing and Cody Glass is a centerman. Instead of putting John Merrill on left wing and moving Tuck from right wing to left wing and changing, forcing Gallant to make those kinds of, of line changes, um, You'd call a couple guys up and let them plug and play and, and leave the rest of it the same. So, I, I don't, you know, when you go to um, a lot of the offensive stats, the coaching was working this season currently, and they've been struggling defensively all year from the off-season makeup of the defense core and in-season um, injuries and call-ups. So, um, I don't see any way this is on ice performance related. If, unless, as you say, and you brought up whether this came from Mr. Foley, and it, it, that my first instinct, and and I, after thinking about it, I, I don't believe this is true. But my first instinct was this: this is a panic decision by somebody who doesn't know hockey, 
And right. you you know four game losing streak. Oh my God, we we went from first to out of the playoffs in a week. Ah, we need to change something. Get rid of Galan. Eh, you know what I mean? That's my first instinct. But I I don't believe that's the case. I, after going back and thinking of it, I, I I pretty much came to my conclusion that is pretty much the same with you. Either a personal issue or professional differences where they weren't able to work with each other any longer. And Kelly McCrimmon decided. And after spending a week or two talking with Deborah and working out contract details or whatever they had to work on. He finally pulled the trigger after the Buffalo game. Um, I think it was a classless move the way it was handled. I think it disrespects the contribution that Gerard Gallant made, not only to the franchise, but to the city of Las Vegas and the national hockey league as a whole. And I believe that man deserved better than what he got. And it, I got to be honest with you. It sours my taste for uh, a man who said that the way to treat people is one of the most important things he learned from Pat Quinn. Um, And I have a bad taste in my mouth, Chris, and I don't know how long that's going to take to go away, but it's there. And I, I, um, I obviously, I don't agree with this decision, but I guess right. we can move on to your thoughts on Pete DeBoer because if you treat that yeah, man have, that way, it's disrespectful to the community as a whole. I just want to have one point, one thought on DeBoer, and, and then uh, we can get to another team that was dumbfounding move this week, the Devils, and uh, in a different way. Um, so my thought on DeBoer is, okay, so here, here's a guy uh, who I know has been a successful Head coach hasn't gotten to the mountaintop, but he's taken two different franchises uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, it, with the Devils a uh, number of years ago, and and then as you well know against the Kings, uh, yeah, and uh, with the Sharks uh, not too long ago against the Penguins. Uh, both cases uh, was the you know was coaching the the underdog to say the least. So he's done a lot of good things. Actually, um, New Jersey but, was a sixth seed, and the Kings were an eighth seed that year. Oh, okay. so on, on paper, that you could say. I think, <laughs> at, at that, that point, point yeah. Though, I think, yeah, the Kings were rolling. But, um, yeah, 12-4 yeah, so going my into thought, the final. My thought was, like, all right, here's a coach who's been with the Sharks the last number of seasons, the last few of which the expectation was, you know, uh, a, a, a true contender. Uh, had come close, you know, like I said, Stanley Cup Finals with the Sharks against the Penguins. Last year, Western Conference Finals, uh, Rocky start, right of the ship, and then hit another, hit another, uh, the boat hit another uh, bad spot. Iceberg? And they let him go. Iceberg, yes. And they let him, and they let him go. And, uh, and you're like, all right, well, he's been there a while. Uh, kind of, you know, reset, reboot, take a step back. And now, like, I want to say, I want to think, when was that? Early December or so, I think? So it was a little Just over a, a little month over ago. a month. Yes, sir. Okay. And to me, to bring a guy who's been in that, and I, I get it. He knows the division, right? He's been coaching in it for quite some time. He knows the Knights roster probably pretty good because they've been a, a rivals these last couple of years. So it's not like he's coming from a – uh, you know, a uh, foreign land, if you will, in, in this regard. But I just felt like, you know, if at the end of the day, at the end of the season, and they wanted to make a change and then go to Pete DeBoer, I get it. But now he's going to come in midstream, 
what is his philosophy is going to be? Well, obviously it's going to be lock, step, and barrel with the front office. I yeah. it just I, I, I think I, I just think it would have been better off. And I know Nashville did it with John Hines with the, the Devils' old coach. So time will tell how that plays out, and time will tell how this plays out. But I don't know. I just think it would have been better to. This should have been an off-season move, and I just wonder what kind of impact he can make, you know, midstream, if you will. Um, so I guess time will tell. But I, 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 I didn't love that aspect uh, of it. But clearly, they're very high on on Pete DeBoer. So uh, well, they've made their bed, sir. Yeah. This yeah. is now on so, management. If this team continues to, I don't know. How many years I can't did take, the board get? Did, did that get announced? No, no, no. I, I think, and I even think that there's something that when you're, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're fired in the National Hockey League, I saw this somewhere. I don't know if it's true. Um, that when you're fired, then if another coach hires you, that some of the details, if not all of the details of the previous contract, um, somehow have to be met. Um, they didn't release price or tenure as far as, as years uh, on the deal. If they had to do a completely new deal or if the old deal he was under and which I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of how that works. I just saw a couple reports that if you're obviously, if you're fired from a contract, you are still being paid. I, I, I believe um, they don't just get to not pay you. If they break their contract with you, the balance of that contract is due. Um so I'm not sure, Chris, 100% on the ins and outs of that, but it was not released in the media. Yeah. Well, well, we're gonna have to. We're gonna monitor pretty closely how this all. Uh, oh yes, we are. Sh- it sh- shakes out more. more. I want to get to the Devils, who was another, another dumbfounding uh, uh, move uh, this week. So, uh, he, you know, he, here are the Devils, right? Um, um, who. You know, really, a lot of things go wrong. They they kind of go a little bit of all in with the they trade for PK Subban, and they in the off season they find Wayne Simmons. They trade for Gusev. They think with the couple you know healthy Taylor Hall, he's sure getting better, the number one pick. That they're going to be a playoff team, and I get it. It all goes south, and far the coach and whatnot, and they you know realize which they should have been on top, you know, realize this sooner, but. They finally realize around sometime in November they're not going to be able to re-sign Kale Hall. So, um, but in the in the meanwhile, the owner of this team is not happy with the general manager. So here is the Devils at a, a very critical juncture of their franchise that they have the former Hart Trophy winner from a couple of years ago yeah. who's going to leave. So you're going to you have to trade him um, and get the best deal that you can get for him. And the person who's going to orchestrate that move, you fire a month later after he makes that critical decision. Now, I'm not saying that Ray Shiro um, did a bad job on the whole trade. Uh, I think he probably got market value, which was a first-round pick and as many secondary assets as he could. And he got, I think, a third-round draft pick that uh, that could become a second, uh, and then he got three secondary prospects. Good prospects, not blue chippers. So I think, but that makes absolutely, you know, if I'm the owner and I'm like, you know, I'm not sure 
I, I, I think we're, we have a problem at the top. I'm thinking about replacing my GM, and I'm going to let him make the tail hole trade. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that he had to go to <clears throat> excuse me, he had to go to ownership and say, "Look, we need to spend X, Y, Z to get player uh, A, B, C in here in the off season because we want to keep player H, right?" And then the season is a disaster. All of those moves that you make didn't work out, and you end up trading player H anyway. Um, as a result, you're on the hook for, and I don't know what uh, the Subban contract was. At, uh, he's still under contract. That was a trade, but um, the Wayne Simmons deal and and the other Wayne, players that he Simmons brought. Was, yeah, Simmons was a one year deal at five mil. One year deal, yeah, at good five number, mil. But, but a one year. Yeah, uh, Subban's making over nine. Uh, how much? How much more. longer does he have on his two more years? I want it. Two more years after this one, yeah. So, as ownership, you see the uh, just uh, that's twenty three million dollars in one of the lower drawing arenas in the league, right? And ownership's like, okay. And then I, there were a couple other people they brought in too, I believe. Um, so you, you're looking at twenty three million dollars in two years with Subban, and the player that you were trying to keep is gone. Now, I I understand why you fire that general manager. But then, how do you make him the, let him make the whole trade? Had let him and and also his his game his game plan, which again I'm not saying it was wrong, was I think it's better that we don't wait to the end of February or the middle of February or, or whatever the, the true well, yeah. the end of the trade and that we attack this now. I think we can do better Pretty by reasonable. attacking this now. Which, which you yeah. know what? Might you don't want it to go... You, you, you don't want Arizona. it showing up with uh, Toronto bedsheets and pajamas, right? Right. No, but my point <laughs> is, he thought it was better to make that trade in December, okay, versus Dem- February. And I think right. that is because because at the end of the day, he felt the best offer was from Arizona, who was a team that maybe come February, if things went a certain way and fell out of it, wouldn't be in the conversation, trade conversation at all. So I actually, you know, because this was another, this was another important point. No, no, anyone who really wanted Taylor Hall, which there were, I guess, a half a dozen teams, six to eight teams, somewhere in that range. They all knew this one thing that, in ter- this was by far the best rental forward that was going to be on the trade market between now and February. This was not like last year, right, where if Ottawa said, hey, I'm trading Matthew Shane uh, within the next seven days. And so another team could say, well, if we don't get to Shane, Ottawa still has Mark Stone, and I think Columbus will wind up trading Panarin. Everyone knew this year that after Taylor Hall, in terms of scoring forward, that the next probably best guy I would say is a Chris Kreider, who's really good, but not Taylor Hall. So I think it behooved him to attack it. So I, I don't think Cheryl did anything wrong. In fact, I think at the end of the day, he probably put the devil 
in the best position possible. But from an owner's standpoint, it just it makes no sense to me, uh, you know, what they did. It, it's yeah, I don't know. I I, I understand the reason, but I, your point of after everything went sour and now I'm on the hook for twenty five million dollars. Um, how do you then let him unless you know you got to go through ownership to get trade approval maybe he went to ownership and goes well here's what here's what we're being offered and uh, ownership said yeah okay that's a good packages we're likely to get let's take that and approve the deal Um, if they thought that that wasn't going to be a good package they would have said no keep shopping or nope you're fired or or uh, you know any number of things but I mean, you got to believe that ownership was was briefed on that trade and the pieces coming back, and they said, "Okay, yeah, let's do that." Um, and then after after the dust settles a little bit, you're like, you know, I got this twenty five million dollar um, hole burning in my wallet, and I'm not too happy about it. I need to get get Ray in here and uh, figure this out. And then that meeting or series of meetings did not go the way. He's like, okay, I want you to get rid of Subban at the deadline. I want you to – and started listing out demands of how to get out of this financial hole. Um, and then they had the difference of opinion on how to move forward. Then you say, okay, pack it up and go. I could see that scenario playing out. Yeah, and, and, and as much as uh, – I mean, at the time, I'm trying to remember um, – uh, in our preview show, but it, it, like for instance, I'm looking at the, my Hockey News yearbook right now for this season, and Pekey Subban is one of four players on the cover, along with Panarin, Eichel, and Bergeron in terms of the East. Uh, and I believe a lot of, uh, in, in reading a lot of the predictions going into the year, uh, curious of where people thought the Islanders were finished. I saw a lot of people t- thinking that the Devils were, if not a playoff team, right on the cusp. So this wasn't like when they did trade for Subban, even though I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I think the Devils are two, three years away. That this, this franchise is about, um, you know, I, uh, Eichel, Hischler. I even felt at that point, even if they could resign Hall, they would be better off trading him. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of other people didn't feel that way. Um, so it wasn't like at the time of the deal, like, oh, what are all these, what are the Devils doing, and this and that. A lot of people, you know, applauded their their moves. It turned out that it didn't work out, but um, um, anyway, you know, and look, Tom Fitzgerald, ex-Islander, by the way, who's the intern GM, who's been rumored to get a full-time GM job, um, you know, I I don't think it's going to be overly complicated for him with the Sammy Vatnins of the world, and, um, you know, Wayne Simmons and uh, Miles Wood, uh, who has another year to go, and um, Kyle Pimeri, who has another year to go, because I think the die has been cast that this team is looking towards the future, uh, that they, they now realize, you know, we are two or three years out, and we're going to build with Hischler and, and um, uh, Hughes uh, going forward. And you know, those deals are going to be about getting the best packages of draft picks and prospects that I can get, you know. Sure. Uh, so, you know, and, that, and quite frankly, quite frankly, I think without patting ourselves on the back, 
I think we, me and you can do a good job of that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, no, seriously. Like, but look, that here's the deal. Like that, and then no one's going to give up a first round pick for that unless they're out of their mind. So, okay, let's find that guy. Second. <laughs> right, I can. I right. We know that unless we strike, unless we win the lottery, that's not going to happen. So what am I going to get for him? I know I'm going to get a second round pick from him, some, from somebody. Okay, what can I get besides a second round pick? So I let it be known. All you know, the ten or twelve teams who are looking for defensemen, and I say, okay, guys, uh, uh, you know, want to give up a first round, a first round pick. No one's going to say anything. All right, that's what I figured. Who's willing to give up a second round pick? You know, all right, seven hands raise up. All right, well, you got to let me know what else you're willing to give for me, and then you know, play everyone off. I mean, this is not really overly complicated. Um, right. But he'll do. Um, He'll do a good job uh, in that in that vein. Uh, uh, but just to wrap up, um, well, real real quick week. to your point, yeah, that's, that's probably where the disconnect between ownership and Ray Shero came in was the path and planning going forward after the Hall deal. So um, uh, he he might have been attached to a player or two to help build around going forward. Um, and ownership might have been saying, "Nope, we got it. We got this twenty-eight, twenty-five million dollar hole you built for us, and we're twenty-eighth in the league in attendance. We're moving on." And uh, so then that disconnect happens. You you bring Tom Fitzgerald in as the interim, and then you give him his marching orders, and that's the way it goes forward. Um, to, that is to your point about how do you let, let him make the hall deal? I think. That is that scenario is probably a pretty reasonable way to go. And I wanted let me jump back real quick, Chris. I wanted to uh, just mm-hmm. mention real quick um, the importance of Gerard Gallant uh, to the community. I, I put a poll on Twitter for people who've been here since UNLV and Jerry Tarkanian, um, as I have been. And I remember winning the championships. I would remember um, going through TARC and the lawsuit against the NCAA and, and the due process and being forced out of the university. And it was a long, protracted issue. Uh, you had the Richard, the Fixer Perry photos uh, come out with three of the Rebels players um, in a hot tub together. And it was just on and on and on and on and on. And it was damage to the college, damage to the reputation of the university, damage to the community, and damage to Jerry Tarkanian. And it, it, and I'm going to use some analogies here um, that I know are, are over the top, and I'm not trying to trigger anybody or anything like that. But the, the divorce between UNLV and Jerry Tarkanian was like a long protracted battle against cancer where it just went on and on and on and on and and everybody could see that the end was coming and it just wouldn't go away. Okay. The separation from Gerard Gallant is like a death in a car accident where it's very sudden and very unexpected and the reasons behind it aren't clear. Um, So I put this poll on, on our Twitter feed where it says what separation caused more um, ups or upset you more who slashed the community more, Jerry Tarkanian or Gerard Gallant? And I fully expected Jerry Tarkanian to win that. A, the Golden Knights termination of Gerard Gallant won that poll with a 60 to 40% rating. So for Las Vegas to say that losing Gerard Gallant more hurt more than losing Jerry Tarkanian 
that tells you everything you need to know about what this franchise has done. And there's a final point uh, this week, major injury news for Carolina. It looks like they lost Ducky Hamilton for the rest of the season. Um, they have depth on defense, but obviously he's one of their better offensive defensemen, and they really do they rely on their defensemen to help with scoring. Um, uh, as you saw last night, they lost in overtime to Anaheim, i.e., hello, parody. Anaheim won the bottom teams, but they play hard every night. And um, Toronto got bad news this week with Morgan Riley. Not as bad news, but um, he's out until sometime in March with a broken foot, and we know that they are a team who can ill afford to lose yeah, any of their top defense, top defense. But now uh, they have a little bit being in the Atlantic, um, uh, less, you know, it seems like everyone in the Atlantic outside of the, you know, past Florida, where Florida's in the standings, um, is, you know, they look like uh, ping pong ball teams, at least for now, unless somebody gets on the street. So they have you know, more of a easier set of seeds to sail, if that's an expression, versus if you're a team in the Metro or a team in the uh, Pacific or the Central, for that matter. But um, that's that's a big loss as well. So we'll have to see how those uh, teams move forward. And uh, that's good news for a guy like Tom Fitzgerald, who, uh, because of it, is going to have uh, Sammy uh, Vatanen being a very wanted man from somebody. Oh yeah, I think those uh those two teams jump right to the forefront of of would you say just off the top of your head you think Vatten's gonna be the, the the premier defenseman that may be available coming up at the deadline? Yeah, I think when <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at the, the teams who are expected to be sellers, he's probably one of the uh one of the better guys uh available. Um uh he's gonna be on the top of the list. And like I said, if you go back what about and Tuba? look, uh, no, he's not. Gonna, it's a cap. Uh, he's got like a nine point something yeah. cap number. You know, no one's going to be able to make that work. Yeah. Um, um, and he signed for a couple more years. The cap is a nightmare. Uh, that's not going to make a trade work. Okay. Go back if you, one goes back and just looks at the last two deadlines, and look at all the defensemen traded. I'll give you a guy off the top of my head. You know, solid. You know, excellent kind of guy. Uh, yeah, no, but I was thinking more of a, like a Ron Hainsey, you know, kind of okay. guy. It, you right. know, he, he fetched in a return, I think, like two threes or three and a four. So, you know, even even a guy like that, it's not it's not like uh, – it's not a cheap cost. So, uh, I think it's a thin list. A list. Your your kings are, have a couple of guys as well. Um, so, we'll have to watch that. But it's not like it's uh, – it's not like it's a great list, and there's only there's not a there's not going to be a ton of sellers. You know, there's a lot of teams that are in the mix. So uh, I think New Jersey will do well for Vatman. That does not mean they'll they'll get a first round pick for him, but they'll get a couple of nice uh, uh, secondary assets after that second round pick. They might wind up getting two twos for him over two years, which. Uh, we will help them because they gave up a lot of draft picks in that second and third round um, uh, in sure, the deal gave... for Gusev and, and Subban. Yeah. They, tra- yeah. they traded – the Devils, as of now, do not have a second or third round pick. Um, 
<laughs> in this upcoming draft, I believe. So um, maybe they'll with wind up one from our with Detroit. Um... Probably looking to be sellers. Where do you where do you place Mike Green if he uh, becomes available? Uh, Is he uh, over the know, hill? Maybe he's over the hill. I would say if there was a team that needed a third, you know, has an open spot Depth. And, and he could be, be be on help them with their power play. But he's not kind of you know usually for defense at this point it's the the word defense it's the defense and the defenseman right. that everyone's really looking right. for and he's not. In his heyday, as he once was, and uh, I'm not saying he won't be moved, but uh, I, you know, I wouldn't put him on the same. Uh, I, I don't, I, like I said, I don't think Detroit really he's has a any veterans. Yeah, I don't think they're, you know, they're going to want that real rock solid uh, defenseman. Just like uh, think of San Jose, right? Didn't they tra- they traded Justin Braun, right, to uh, mm-hmm. Philadelphia? Am I getting me? Uh, that's the kind of guys, you know people will be looking for and you know it's a it's a very thin list it is a very thin list i'm looking through some yeah. of it now and there's not much presence sir well how many sellers are there going to be what six to 18 how many teams are truly out of it i mean like right right we've got the kings the Ducks, yeah that's the Senators, where you start the devils um, detroit and ottawa, uh, ottawa obviously right but then you look at the teams that are out of it which it's probably somewhere in that six to eight team range. You know, not all of them have really that defenseman that are going to be available. That yeah. uh, you, know, uh, you know, unless they have a guy that they're willing to trade. Like I said, it's, I'm rambling a bit, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a it's a thin list. It's a thin list in general, to be quite honest with you. And I think the defense okay. uh, show that. So uh, I think Vatnin will be kind of a wanted guy. Uh, some teams, uh, you know, will be. I agree. Uh, same thing. Uh, same thing with uh, with Pajot from that standpoint. They're not elite players, but they can help you in a lot of a lot of ways, and um, it'll be interesting to see. There'll be a lot of teams interested in, in both of them. They don't have huge cap shooting come into play, um, so it's really going to come down to who can offer the best package of picks and uh, picks and secondary prospects. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this week of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, just a, one more one more quick news item to clean up. Uh, Nick Backstrom signs a uh, five-year extension, $9.2 million per. Um, 32 will be 33 in a year. So uh, that's going to pretty much finish him up there in Washington. Good for him. Good for the player. Uh, we'll see what that does to the Caps cap going forward when that kicks in. Um, he got more it, on an annual basis than I thought he would, but he also took a lesser, less years than I thought he would. So if you look at it from that standpoint, um, you know, it, it probably worked out for everybody. But when, all right, he, all right. when it's year, when he, it's year four and five, when he's what, 36, 37, will he be a $9 million player against the cap? Uh, no. He won't. They'll be paying for him for past performance at that point. One would think. Yeah. Well, all right. That's going to do it for this week. If everything works out good, we're going to have a show Wednesday for our midweek report. Anything else you want to get to before I let you go, Chris? Uh, that's it. And just switch my own. Just good luck in the third period. We're up four-one. <laughs> uh, we need we need some W's before the break. All right, buddy. Um, let's. 
I won't. That was another point to get into with Glon. If you just wait through that road trip that you're on, and then they have the week by, and then the All Star break, so there's like 11, 12 days off. If you wait until you get back to Vegas and let Gallant go, then he can just clean it up and and head to the house, and then you have a full 10, 11 days with your new coach to work on systems and stuff like that, that you need to, and you're still treating Gallant with dignity and respect, which I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights did. Uh, speaking of the break, that was one more point I wanted to get to where if you wanted to do it before you went on the road trip, fine. If you want to do it after the road trip, fine. Doing it in the middle of a road trip in Ottawa and calling him in his hotel room at 8, 30 in the morning is ridiculous. Um, anyway, that, that was my last point, and, and you mentioned the break, and it popped back into my head. Um, that would seem to make more sense. Anyway, we are on the Hockey Podcast Network as the Golden Knights official podcast. There is a podcast from every NHL team available on the Hockey Podcast Network. So go on over to the hockeypodcastnetwork.com and check out a show from your favorite team um, or a team that you just want to figure out what's going on with them, say your team's getting ready to play them in the next couple of weeks. And, hey, what has been going on in Florida? Well, there's a podcast for it, and you can find it at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. For Chris on Mark, that's going to do it for this week. And time permitting, we're going to get with you Wednesday night. We'll have a little bit more flavor of what the uh, new situation in Vegas is looking like. They play Montreal tonight, so that'll be an interesting watch. Anyway, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone. We'll be right back.